All right, so welcome to Startup Business Q&A episode 222. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining in. 222 weeks of this marvellous show uh, where you all very kindly uh, submit your questions. And um, it's just crazy. We've done so many of them. So thank you very much for that. And if you want to work out how many questions we've done, I know uh, we I did a like, survey on this a, lot, a load a while back. And the average number of questions uh, is eight per week. So if you times eight, by 222, you ended up with a lot of uh, questions, something in the region of 1,700 questions been asked uh, and answered over the years. So thank you so much, everyone, jumping in with that. Today is an AMA. I'm listening to you lot always, and um, uh, several uh, days back I asked, it, well, in fact, it was just, it wasn't that, I didn't even ask, it was several days ago, um, I, I was just being told by yet another person, it's been like several over the last month or two now, um, although it's always happened anyway, saying like, we love the AMA, can we just focus on that instead? I'm, like, I'm not going to do an AMA only, but I will up the frequency. So we're going to do um, probably every so often, every, rather than like every like 20 episodes, it'll be every three to five, perhaps we'll do an AMA. So you can just ask anything you like. So it's not restricted for everyone uh, who's watching. So if you're watching right now, put in the comments where you're watching from. And if you're part of hashtag team live, or hashtag team replay if you're watching later on. Uh, thank you very much, Daniel Nunes, jumping in from Phoenix, Arizona. Good to see you watching right here. And uh, yeah, so, so start business Q&A. This week is an AMA and ask me anything. And you can jump in and ask me any questions you like. Uh, love to see you all jumping in and waving, saying hi on uh, Instagram. Good to see you here. We're live also on Facebook and, in and uh, LinkedIn as well. And uh, yeah, people watching from India through to Phoenix and everywhere in between. Amazing to see you here. Uh, hashtag Richard Moore, says the LinkedIn user. Uh, you, you need to toggle your privacy settings. I don't know what your name is. Uh, Carl Williams, good to see you here, live from York, UK. Nice to see you, my man. Thank you for watching. Uh, I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, so some people in the past have said, you know what, it's great when you target particular topics each week. However, sometimes they're just not relevant, so I won't watch. Uh, and so an AMA is perfect for them. I want to also add my thanks uh, because uh, for some time, for a few months, uh, we'd been doing some other things and so not run um, the uh, podcast. The podcast is very simply the audio of this show. So each week we, we convert it to audio, post it on iTunes and Spotify. So if you search Startup Business Q&A, uh, Richard Moore, whatever, then you'll see it right there on, on all of the, wherever you listen to your podcast. And we paused it. Uh, to tweak some things but people were saying you know i actually i actually listened to that richard would you mind and so as of last week monday um it's back and i looked at the stats earlier today thank you so much wow thank you so much people who are watching it uh or, or rather listening to it um i think for many it's this is so amazing to to hear when when people say this but for many it forms the beginning of their week and like honestly some people wake up and start their Monday listening to this. So shout out to all of you. That's bloody brilliant when you do that. I really appreciate it. But also some people use this uh, as their, this is their commute to work. So if you're listening right now, raise a smile. I'm talking about you. Thank you very much. If you're in the car, on the train, wherever you might be, uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. And it's back to here to stay. Thanks to uh, Gurleen for helping to, to do all the legwork, putting that out. And it'll be the same every week. So later today, every Monday it'll be. So every, later today, the podcast will go live and um, you can check it out thereafter. So thank you again. I really appreciate that. It's brilliant that people are doing this. 
and uh, uh, checking it out and, and listening and consuming it in different ways. So like I say, it's on Spotify, iTunes, whatever you listen to it on. Uh, if you're watching right now, pop into the comments if you're part of hashtag Team Live and where you're watching from or part of hashtag Team Replay. Uh, and we will pop uh, and, and I can obviously catch up with you all a bit later on. And AMA today. So if you have any questions at all, do pop them in the comments. What are your questions? And I will do my best to answer them for you. Happy to to do that. Um, Kenny Kendrick has said your video is super pixelated. I have an idea as to why. It's because I'm streaming Instagram using the wrong um, source. Thank you for showing me that. It should be better now, <laughs> Kenny. Uh, I've switched it out. So you've got a, a pure source now for LinkedIn and uh, for Facebook. They are fixed. Uh, it should change everything. So first questions coming through. Hello to Joanna, Liamo, Team Live. Hello, hello to my friend Kyoko watching from Barcelona, Team Live as well. Paul Brown is asked, Ronald, do you hashtag everything? Uh, it's because someone here has written hashtag for everything. Interesting, because someone's asked about uh, hashtags the other day, so I'm going to cover that now. Um, it's interesting because there's um, a recent report that's come out on the algorithm for 2012, 2020. It's marvellous. It's really, impressed, uh, really impressive. And um, if you search on LinkedIn, you'll find it. It's really deep. So someone's done like research on thousands of posts, really great information there on things like hashtags, uh, how you should use them and so on. It's interesting because a lot of the the things that come out of that report are are clearly saying basically the algorithm simply is saying um just be decent you know and and so don't spam don't be irritating and you'll be well, well rewarded so it's kind of interesting that a lot of the things people are trying to really trying really hard to work out what the algorithm is all about it's all based on common sense like what do you think it wants you to do obviously post content of your own not share others because then you're adding to the platform obviously keep people on the platform so you don't send them elsewhere using links and obviously start conversation because linkedin will want you to run a, a help build its community it's kind of obvious really and as for hashtags it appears to be that some hashtags can really drive the performance of your posts but i think that actually in my experience they've not done a made a major impact but the ones that are are quite competitive and well subscribed to uh, and the suggestion in this report is that it's those that are over 100,000 followers of that hashtag uh, can improve your post somewhat. But let's get into the questions. If you have anything you want to ask, do jump into the um, uh, into the uh, comments and do that. Uh, Mirai, good to see you watching here. Hey, our clocks line up now. They do line up, although it's Greenwich. Greenwich is like the start of the day, right? Greenwich Mean Time, it always starts here. So. You know, we were we were never wrong, Mirab. Is what that's why I, I like to look at it here in London. Anyway, I should move on from that. Sagona has asked on um, Facebook. She has two questions about LinkedIn. So the first question is: Are endorsements and skills still worth building up? Personally, I don't feel they actually have that much of an impact unless you are looking for um, to, to be headhunted or to, or to to get a new job. I presume that that's the kind of thing that can hold a lot of value uh, if someone is deeply looking into your your um, your profile. But here's the truth. Everyone uses LinkedIn differently. And for every recruiter who will scrutinize the number of endorsements and skills you got, there'll be the next one who just doesn't care. And it doesn't have any bearing on how well the job will go or the interview. It's just what that person's like. 
personally, I don't give them any attention at all because I know that a lot of people leverage um, endorsing in order to connect. So what they do is they endorse you for a few things, They're like they endorse you for sales, account management, and generally being great or whatever. And, um, and then say, hey, in a DM, Richard, I just endorsed you for whatever, whatever it was. And we should connect as if to say, you know, look, hey, I just I was really nice to you. And it's like, uh, wh why? So so it's interesting. So a lot of it's just fluff, uh, to be honest. And does it mean that person's good? At it? Well, perhaps it does. And surely there is over with enough um, endorsements again and skills and things like that on your profile. It will probably suggest in the main what you're reasonably good at. But I, I think it's a fairly weak metric for how strong someone is, in my opinion. Um, and it's not something that's talked about or bothered with that much. So um, it's not something I focus on and I wouldn't give it much attention, in my opinion. But that does depend on what you're doing. Uh, if you're like, a, I don't know, a freelancer who is um, looking for work, I would doubt that the endorsements and skills make much difference it's compared to, for instance, the ability you have to display or exhibit your your um your craft through say content that's going to get far more level of um uh, interest that's palpable you know people sending messages and commenting or checking out your profile so i think that that's uh that's where i would be dwelling more um, better content producing uh this message that you're good at your thing as opposed to just just the uh, skills and endorsements they just they don't seem to crop up much in conversation people don't talk about them that much Again, some recruiters probably do look at them, but but like, what's it really saying about someone? Just because I don't have them, it doesn't mean much. It might mean that my profile is not particularly active. So it's a it's a tough one. It's contextual, but it's certainly um, I would put it quite low on the list of priorities. Good question there. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Amy Hansen uh, hashtags and tagging people and groups are bit different on various platforms. You're quite right. It's actually a question on that. Before we get back to Sagonia's uh, second question, uh, was there someone who asked about that? No, they didn't. Never mind. Sagonia's second question: Does reactions do reactions make a difference on how your post performs overall? Reactions. This is still on LinkedIn. Reactions are a bit like on Facebook. Instead of just giving a thumbs up or a like, as we did in the old days, you now have a raft of it, of emotions you can give, such as. Well, not on LinkedIn laughing, but, you know, you can give things like uh, this is inspirational or this is thoughtful or I love this or whatever. And the um, the suggestion is that there's actually no difference. Reactions contribute. So if someone likes a post or writes it or clicks thoughtful or clicks curious or whatever, it there is a suggestion that uh, that's that definitely improves um, your or contributes to the algorithm's decision to distribute your post. Not nearly as much as content does, uh, sorry, comments do. However, it contributes a bit. Now, within the reactions, the suggestion of this interesting report, uh, fascinating, is that there's actually parity across the uh, different reactions in terms of what you get out of it in, uh, insofar as reach is concerned or distribution of your content, with the exception of caring or, or rather support you know uh, facebook now has the caring one which means you're being a careful being a caring person on your on your post um support which is like a hand with a heart and i believe um that apparently uh if, if you get more of them then that will boost your reach a little bit further so that one is like is like the superpower one so 
if those of you writing posts trying to get people to click on particular reactions or to engage tell everyone to, to click on uh, supporting or support and apparently you'll get a slight boost over the other reaction but like what are you doing with your content if that's what you're trying to do all the time and um, i don't think that's necessarily that much to worry about but apparently that that's the truth in there so any reaction contributes to your um to your uh, to the algorithm giving you a greater reach support contributes a bit more than the others but i don't think it's much different i think it's probably five ten percent uh, or something like that so it's not suddenly you're going to go viral every time people clicks on click on uh, support but it's an interesting one to know about um, like I say, check, check this out, this report out. I think it was a guy, uh, Andy Foot, I think was his name, who uh, who's posted it recently. So definitely have a look at it. It's very good reading. Um, Amy Hanson, you're writing a lot. Let me see what you've been writing. I wouldn't have been able to keep up with posting on LinkedIn, more text and Twitter at the same time. This is such an interesting point, actually. A lot of people say, like, should I be everywhere? The answer is, if you can, and actually most people can't, because it requires a lot of time and effort. And you don't have to be everywhere if um, everyone else is or it feels like it or if you don't feel your customers are there or more importantly, if you don't feel you can deploy yourself effectively. I'm not on, well, I'm on Twitter, but I don't use it. And sh would I do better if I was on Twitter? Probably. There's a lot of people on Twitter, but I don't have the bandwidth to do it properly, in, in all honesty. And, and I feel that because you have to do set, you know, different kind of content for a Twitter, in my opinion, you know, Instagram. Uh, Facebook and, and LinkedIn are my are my jam at the moment. Uh, YouTube will be coming back in time, um, but Twitter's not featuring. I, I'm technically on TikTok, but am I producing content? No. Yes, lots of people get loads of followers, but I'm monetizing the others really well, so it works well for me for now. People are saying, "Well, you're mad, Richard. You've got to be on TikTok because you know everyone else is, and it's all you know. Everyone's winning there. Sure, sure." but we're all doing well elsewhere as well, okay? And people say, yeah, but you can't have that attitude. Because what about if, if everything dies and you just left with TikTok? Sure, but we all said about Snapchat as well. So you never know, it's important to be diverse in my opinion and choose which ones you're on based on your ability to deploy yourself effectively and where you're strong, simple as that. So sure, add another one. I'm adding YouTube, I feel it's robust and that well, rather than going back to YouTube, um, I'm not on TikTok right now, but perhaps it's something we go back to uh, thinking about doing in the future. We'll see. Uh, there was another question I wanted to jump in here. Carl, I think you asked. Yes, Carl's um, on, on LinkedIn has asked, how do you keep track of your contacts on LinkedIn, who you've spoken to and about what? A very uh, unhelpful answer for you is I'm really, I have a weird memory I remember <laughs> really well, uh, which isn't useful at all. I remember really well uh, people I've spoken to and, and things like that. And I think it comes from um, an intense training of, of always doing this in the 2000s when I was selling. I, I, I had to manage many, many clients at once. Obviously, I had a CRM, but I was constantly remembering and I had to talk to my manage, manager about the prospects and the people in my pipeline. So I'd always be aware, very aware of who I'm speaking to. And I remember to this day many of the names of people I did deals with 15, 16, 17 years ago. It's kind of weird. Um, so that's not a helpful answer at all. A CRM is a good idea. Um, I'm kind of old school now. I feel like I'm getting old with this approach. But like when I do uh, new initiatives, I usually just bang out a Google uh, Google Sheets um, and like just, oh, I want to keep things simple. So put the names in. Uh, the people who jumped off, say, uh, jumped into a post and written DMs. So I did one the other day. Get like 20 people jump out of a post saying I'm interested. 
Uh, and then I've got each of the next steps of my sales process. It works really well for me and I can refer to them. And they're held in Google Drive in intelligently placed folders so I know where all these people are. Um, I did the same with my Entrepreneur Business Live events. So people who attended, I've got records of all of them as well. So I can always go back and uh, re-harvest, let's say, if need be. So it's an interesting one. On LinkedIn, you can do lots of things that like you can go to their profile and write notes and things like that. Um, I don't. I tend to not. I tend to put them into a spreadsheet because I'm working with higher price point sales. It tends to not be a high volume call. Um, and they tend to when they become deals, great, and they become clients. But if not, then it's not like it drags on for month on end and there's hundreds to look after. So it tends to work for me. Um, but I would recommend a strong CRM uh, beyond sales. Stripe is my kind of preferred CRM. I think it's amazing. It's really simple. Uh, and I can bang out invoices to people directly. So that's what I use uh, in, the, in the main other than uh, a cheeky spreadsheet. So I hope that helps. Good question. Uh, uh, James Perreb, use a good old Excel spreadsheet to track conversations and connections to you. Uh, Amy Hansen, I'm scared of TikTok. Okay. Paul Brown, what's your TikTok username? Um, the Richard Moore, probably. I think it's the Richard Moore, just because all the other um, sites are that as well, like Instagram and so on. So I believe it's the Richard Moore, and you can take it from there. Uh, let's see what other questions we've got. Um, there's lots in there, actually. I'll read that later. Anyway, next question here from Alex off Facebook has said, hey, hope you're well. I have a question for you. Do you know such programs supporting entrepreneurs like this one? She sent me a link. It's for an accelerator program where you interview to get into it and then they can give you some funding if you're successful. Do they really work? It would be interesting to find at least two to three examples. I'm presuming, Alex, that you're in the market for one, perhaps, which is why I've said Alex and not your full name because otherwise you can get bombarded with people saying, hey, I can help you. And that's not very really useful for you necessarily. There's a few things you need to remember about this kind of thing. So accelerators. Uh, so I have run, for instance, with LinkedIn to get people clients and show them how to do conversion and so on. Uh, they're all slightly different. So some of them are funded uh, in that you get a chunk of money, uh, a really good example. And it's very grueling. I'm reading the book about it right now, which is uh, called The Launch Pad. I remember what the name of it is, but I'm reading the book of it about Y Combinator over in um, San Francisco. And um, without question, these things work when you apply yourself and put the work in. It's the same with all of this stuff. People go, oh, look, online courses or, oh, look, another, you know, another book, how to book. They all work, by the way, when you actually do what what's written in. You can't blame the book or the course when you don't apply uh, yourself effectively and do what, what you're meant to. Typically, that's the main part of it. However, it is wise to always check, especially the ones that don't offer you any kind of funding. Like, is the person legit? Do they know what they're doing? Um, have they ever closed anything? I remember this was over a year ago. And this is this is a really good anecdote to make this point. Over a year ago, I remember it's probably a year and a half ago. There was someone on LinkedIn who shared with me that they just closed their first $10,000 deal about a year and a half ago. And <laughs> I was absolutely stunned, kind of stunned, because I also sh should have expected it. Absolutely stunned when about two weeks later, the same person who'd done one $10,000 deal then went and posted um, a essentially advert-based content 
saying, I'm launching my new mastermind, which is some kind of course he was doing on how to close, close $10,000 deals. It's like, you did one, <laughs> you've done one. And so there's a perfect example who's, of someone who's not legit and who would, who's trying to rinse just one singular example of having closed one of these sales. So that's terribly dangerous because what you're going to have is people with lots of questions requiring you to have experience. So do your homework. Firstly, do your homework if you do it. If you do this course, you have to work for it, but also do your homework before buying. Is this person legitimate? Do they have any kind of reputation or anything like that? Any coaches I've had in the past are always ones where I've watched them for a bit and they have a really good, good reputation and it's just clear as day they're not making up their level of success. It really does matter. I'd like to think that coaching people on how to get clients on LinkedIn, um, you know, people get that it comes from a place of me having done it for a very long time and my whole world for 17 years being selling. So literally thousands of deals and millions of quid sold means that I'm probably half decent at closing stuff. If I was 22 and, you know, started selling last Tuesday, it's just a bad display of, of, um, or which is not going to be good enough in terms of giving you a robust service. So it really does matter that you do your research as far as you can. Uh, just keep your eye on that. The other thing I would say um, is think about restrictions. So someone I work with at the moment was originally in an accelerator program. And what happened is when they were accepted, they received not funding, but the promise of funding in you know several months time. But what that required was that by being in part of that accelerator, they had to adhere to certain processes and use the accelerators, um, uh, vendors and service providers. So, for instance, photographer. And by the way, this whole had to be paid for by by this person who got into this, uh, been accepted into this accelerator. So things like photographer, business mentors, um, social media coaches, all this kind of thing. And basically the people running it had their buddies all eating bits of the pie. And it's good to bring in, in um, uh, kind of a peripheral um, services to, to pad out the value of the um, accelerator. But this person would have lost a lot of ownership of direction. And the idea was like, fine, it's your idea, but we dictate how it looks and we dictate what your brand needs to feel like. And rather than suggestions that you take and run with, it became very restrictive. And of course, any funding was dependent on her adhering to, to these, um, you know, using the, these particular uh, service providers. That wasn't clear from the start. And I think you need to be aware that sometimes these restrictions are in place. And in the end, she left because she was losing the essence of what this whole thing was meant to be all about because she was being driven in a particular direction and made to do things that weren't quite um, in line with what, what she had uh, wanted the company to do. You could argue that's arrogance, but you could also argue that that's about ownership and saying, you know, I want to I maintain at least so, some strong control over, you know, the direction I'm going or the ethos or, of it all or, or the mission of, of the whole thing. And I want to use this photographer rather than your one, you know. So it may well be that you need to look at what restrictions are. So do your research before. Is this person legit? do your work if you do it if you join into it but also think about what restrictions you might be getting into um is what i'd say but they all work if you do them properly they tend to all work unless you obviously pick someone who's a scam which i hope you don't um 
let's see what else we've got here. Patricia Freudenberg on LinkedIn. How do you feel about email versus DM when wanting to promote a fundraising campaign? This is an interesting one. Um, I think it depends on how robust your email list is and how bit robust your DM list is um, or your, your DM game is. DMs are hard and I, my best advice for DMs is to use them as, uh, as, as a way to warm people sufficiently from initially being connected or them commenting on your work to warming them to move them to a phone call because the interface human to human where there's dynamics and emphasis and emotion and so on face to face is far superior than in a DM. So I would be doing that if I'm looking for fundraising. If I'm using email lists, it should be because I've got a strong email list, you know, and, and, and if I have a good open rate, people trust me. And that's why it's wise, by the way, if you're going to look at email lists, to have an email that list that has is constantly sending them good value content. If you only hit up your email list when you want something, like in money, then it looks a bit disingenuous. So perfect example of this is you always know in the UK when the elections are on, because all of a sudden you get loads of emails from the people who want to get your vote and you get loads of people sent, those people then post you letters and suddenly they're knocking on your door and you're like, where have you been? I'm not seeing you all this time and now suddenly you're here you want to vote. So you should be thinking to yourself, like, am I, am I um, uh, sending out value all the time so that that email list is kept warm? That's why we do content all the time. That's why you should stay in touch with people on the DMs as well. So that when fundraising is required, you know, you've got that opportunity to 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 to, to take take advantage of it of, in the nicest possible way, a really warm audience. Same with anything, you know, the reason why we put out strong content is to keep people warm, feeling good, staying in orbit around you, stay, you know, you're staying on their radar. So if there is an opportunity for an ask, um, you give it and they're not like, who's this guy? I've never seen you before or, or they're feeling particularly cold. So staying warm is it makes sense. But I feel that they both work. But you've got to be very good at copywriting for e emails because who really reads subscription based emails? Do you like put in the comments? Seriously, when was the last time you read one of those subscription based email spam? Not spam. That's unfair. Email uh, um, kind of newsletters coming from, say, an influencer. Do you read them genuinely, like really religiously? And um, most people don't. And there's a couple they might. But most of the time it's like, oh, it's whatever. And you have this big fat folder filled with this stuff that you once upon a time signed up for and convince yourself it would change your world about and never actually bothered to read. So there's very few, I think, who read any. And those that do read them probably are very selective in them. So like you've got to be you've got to be good at that um, and you've got to warm that audience effectively um, in order to get someone to bother to to take it further. In my opinion, just based on my assets, the email list is OK. Um, I prefer DMs because it's a means to an end. And again, it's a really good opportunity to take someone real one on one interaction. The downside of the DMs, of course, that no one likes is that it's um, it's not particularly efficient. It takes you a load of time to uh, to go through DMs and speak to people one on one, but it's more effective. Simple as that. Email lists. My email list can never outperform my ability to, to speak to people one on one in the DMs, except for reaching people quickly and at a volume or at scale. But but in terms of DMs one on one. I'm, you know, that's that's where I'm at my best. So it makes more sense, uh, dependent on what I'm trying to sell or do. That I speak to people one on one. 
Um, I know uh, someone who recently has been working on a, on a fundraising campaign, in fact, here on LinkedIn, and um, they've been working like morning, noon and night, one on one with people uh, in the DMs. And that's been how they've raised thousands of dollars uh, for, for this campaign, because they're not they're not spamming templates. They're not using bots. They're not using automation in any way. They are going there and grinding out one on one, speaking to people and, and crafting a new message each time. People might be thinking, I don't want to do that. and takes so much effort. Yeah, but those that are patient and do the job properly tend to do well in this particular scenario. That's my experience. Great question there. Carl Williams have asked another question. I see loads of people that teach. Are there any people that actually do and charge based on results? As in, I presume what you mean is they do it for the done for your approach. This is something I did a little while back uh, with content. Uh, I've since uh, two weeks ago, but I finished with my last client of this because uh, I wanted to dedicate more time to my LinkedIn client accelerator group because there's a lot of work in there. But the um, but the done for you approach, what I did. So rather than like, hey, here's how you look good on LinkedIn and here's what you should do with your content. It was I'll do it for you. So basically we produce the content. We obviously listen to them and their ideas and their IP is downloaded as such. Um, but then we build the content for them, the video, the images, the copy. Then we help them post it at the right time. We do the, the analytics. We we connect with the right people, build the, build the network, drive the leads in, get the signups for the webinars or the, you know, the people buying the books and the people uh, buying into things like uh, conversation with them and drive the leads there. So the done for your approach obviously costs the client more, but it's brilliant when you've got someone who knows what they're doing who can actually go in there. I've done a lot in the past, Carl, of things like... Um, lead gen and lead gen there are two types there's the there's the one that's like not so useful it's just basically building lists of people who technically could be spoken to and then there's real lead gen in my opinion ones i've done in the past where you're like i will get someone to a point in the dms where they want to have a conversation with you and so they're quite excited about that idea and then they can take and then you can take that you know and run with it and close it essentially and generating you know four leads a week or something like that for a high ticket proposition is, is very powerful because that's worth sometimes tens or hundreds of thousands of, of dollars for, for the prospects. So I think it's important to do, to think about is if you're a really good practitioner, look at the opportunity of not just teaching it, but also doing it for them. It takes more work, but then you should price it accordingly. And uh, I found that to be really lucrative. So I think it's a really good idea, Carl, uh, and something you should think about if it's something you can do. Patricia, before we move back on the idea of the campaign and DMs, I do prefer DMs so much more personal, that feels like it's overbearing to campaign on DMs. Thanks for confirming that. It is overbearing to campaign on DMs if it's cold and out of the blue. It's not if you've got them warmed up already. So it's, it's as simple as anything. If you're keeping people warm, you'll find that they're more inclined to buy or jump when you ask for something because kind of you're consistently front of mind as opposed to what feels a little bit weird when you just show up for the thing you're after. So you've got, you kind of, you've got to... You've got to take a long view of it, I suppose, is the best way to do this. Uh, okay, next question. I will to do one more here. So Daniel Nunes, who's I think was watching from Phoenix, good to see you here. How and when will the international EBL events resume? EBL is Entrepreneur Business Live, which is my live event series. This gives me an opportunity to talk about it, Daniel. Thank you. Uh, so August 2018, we launched it, uh, August 2018. Uh, we did 26 events uh, until February this year, because obviously we had a virus. We were going to do gutted we didn't get it in we were going to do i was going to go to amsterdam and then miami the next week 
for for the events and then we we're like and I, I remember having i just got the venue signed off uh we we got it signed off for miami and then for amsterdam and then we had to pull the plug because of the coronavirus gutted because it wasn't afterwards but that was the right safe thing to do um i love them it's great in person to, you know we had them all over the world from australia to canada australia uh, to, to to the us we had them um uh in in Europe and the UK as well, I was really hoping, like by now, we would have had two things happen. If we continued in the virus hadn't happened, we'd have moved from two events a month to multiple events a month because it would have been the handing over of, of the events to local city ambassadors, so people running their own entrepreneur business lives. The idea of the event is it's three speakers for an hour on a topic and then an hour of networking as well. And all money, not profit, all money in, in entirety goes to charity to so local charities we raised thousands last year doing it that way and um but it was going to go because we did we, we we rolled out six events before we stopped in february uh and the last of which was atlanta um uh, and the wonderful heather parody ran up we ran six events where we had a local person running it so new york allison fisher for instance it's just so nice having people running on their own and by this time this in, in 2020 i wanted to have multiple events around the world and people running them and i was planning to be in asia a lot more so tokyo hong kong and places like that singapore that question as well to to roll out events in the far east i was really keen on that so we had to put a, um, a kind of obviously a break on it to be real with you i am actually i, I i'm pleased slightly that we've not been running them because i've been able to spend a lot more time where I've been needed, which first and foremost has been in this house looking after my girls whilst they were um, off school and through the summer holidays. It's been very important to me um, that I was 50-50 with my wife in terms of, you know, school homeschooling and looking after them and things like that. So that's been a real gift perversely from the virus. But the other thing is that I, I was able to, to focus on kind of getting my house in order and, and building this new proposition in the accelerator will they return though is the question you're asking yes they will um are we going to do virtual at the time for the time being no and the reason why is because i feel the the essence of these events although we we stream them live um wherever they are in the world exclusively into the entrepreneur business group on facebook if you're not in it why the hell not we've been running it for five years it's entrepreneur business group and facebook we stream them live there it just like the viscerality of being there person to person is so powerful that's what these events are about as, as well as raising the money for charity and and the speakers as well yes we can do virtual yes virtual can work really well but networking in virtual it doesn't work so well and there's a lot of cute and innovative and creative ideas. I've seen loads of virtual ones. Come on, it's not the same by a long stretch. And I think there's something really great about the buzz of a people, set of people in a room. Um, it's interesting though, because virtual events are obviously here to stay. Uh, and um, in terms of a place for learning, they can be really powerful. I was, of course, part of Digital Design Days last week, which was phenomenal. But that's a very much a focus on learning as opposed to networking. Uh, and there was, I do a lot of university lecturing and one, um, I did one, the EBS symposium, the 31st year of that was this year. And uh, back in last month, this event ran out of um, Germany with like, I, I was speaking with 
like Porsche and Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan had some really amazing speakers there. Um, but at, they did, they've probably done the best I've seen, which was after the talks, they had a meet the speaker situation where basically you had um, like, a, a, like went to a side room where 12, the, the first 10 people in, I think it was get to ask questions. And that was okay, but it's just not the same really. And so here's the other thing as well. The issue, I don't want to get political and stuff, but, but the fact is we've got coronavirus, which is a big deal at the moment. And I think whilst many of us may well get it or have already had it, and touch wood, many of us can actually survive it and we'll probably be fine. That's not the issue. The issue, certainly in the UK, is how crippling it is for the hospitals when too many people are in there. So flattening the, the transmission is actually a really cool thing to do for those people working in hospitals. And I'm just, I know of several people who work in hospitals and they are on their knees. So it would be very cavalier to run an in-person event at a time like this, when even if we're all fine, the chances of, of um, transmission and therefore potentially spreading it to people who then end up in hospital and drive down the capacity of the hospitals further is, is, is just simply, it, there's no brainer you don't run them because it's only contributing to greater transmission and there's just no point in it so it's immensely it's quite selfish i believe and it would be quite um um it would be a little insensitive when literally over the road from my house there's a general hospital on its knees with with cases of people going in because they've never happened to got the get the virus um, to run a, to run a live show and potentially contribute to that, I, I'm reasonably feeling reasonably um, uh, comfortable that if I was to get the coronavirus, I hope I'd be okay. It seems like, in the main, a huge number of people recover, but that's completely missing the point. The show isn't about coronavirus, but it's not about if you survive or not. It's about how much you are really pushing the the capacity of the, of the hospitals. And so, with that in mind, until such time as that, you know. We're, the hospitals are able to kind of level out and be able to handle it a bit more. I don't see that the it being a wise idea to run them. So it's regrettable because there's a lot of upside, there's a lot of um, charities that benefited from it, a lot of people in turn benefited from the events. I would say we've just got to see how it goes. And so it, it's paused indefinitely, which is horrible to say. Should we look at a virtual version? Possibly. Um, it's something we might look into. But I, I would say this year, it's a no, uh, possibly in 2021, it's something I will bounce into and, and uh, spend a bit more time with. Um, there are alternatives. There, there's maybe ways in which we can have a very socially distanced um, uh, meeting in person. But then, like, again, you might lose the essence of the event. Uh, so I'm not I'm not closed minded to it. I'm interested in anyone's suggestions on on if you've experienced great events some like in person, uh, possibly how they have managed this uh, at this time. I'd be interested in if that's been done properly. What what really worries me is is just everyone getting together and and that potentially having a knock on effect uh, beyond the event. And that again, that's a bit selfish in my opinion. So I'm trying not to um, uh, be controversial about coronavirus. That's not the subject for this. But therein it lies the reason why I'm not doing it at the moment, Daniel. But really pleased you brought it up. I do feel. That as and when we do roll out again, I, I definitely want to drive this idea that people take 
the format and go run their own event. I think that's wonderful because it shouldn't be dependent on me being involved. It should be that you, you say, I want to run a networking event and there's lots of different types you can do. I want to do a local networking event, maybe with speakers and get together, business, business networking event. But I'd love the people to think of this model of three speakers for an hour, then speak for an hour and all money goes to charity. I think it's a really nice way of doing it. So um, so hopefully we'll return with that in the near future. You've also asked me, Daniel, besides social distancing, what strategies do you think make the most impact in hosting and redeveloping events? It's interesting this because social distancing can work for some, but it just depends on the format, like how are you going to do it? And you can't have, let people just go and get beers and just like mill around together because the distancing thing probably won't work as well. But you can probably put something in place somehow. I, I, I just think... Virtual is really difficult because people want to see each other and, and just be able to, you know, bounce off each other's um, kind of emotions in the moment. And I think it's very difficult to do when you're on a relatively sterile uh, Zoom call. But um, aside from social distancing, I think that I think that, you know, there's there might be some really creative ways in which you can change the format of the event and, and you can um, put people in groups who you know, stand around a two meter wide table or something like that, and then they can speak to each other in certain ways. But I just think it's tremendously restrictive. I don't think you should give up. I'd be really interested personally because of entrepreneur business life in what um, suggestions come out of this. So if anyone's come up with some interesting ideas uh, or seen them or come across them, please put them in the comments and I'll try and check them out a bit later. I'm really interested in how this can be solved. Because this also feeds in, of course, not just to events, but also how people interact with one another, um, you know, in their roles every day when they have to do um, Zoom calls instead of a face to face meeting. It's, it's a very interesting one. Uh, I'm going to leave that there and say, um, Daniel, you created a really interesting primer. So uh, do pop in the comments what you think. And I'll be interested to to uh, see what what people's responses to that. But as for now, let's leave it there. Thank you so much, everyone, for jumping in. Uh, any other questions I see in the comments, I will try and answer retrospectively. Thank you again, everyone watching on the, um, uh, sorry, everyone listening on the podcast. Now it's available every Monday, so you're gonna have to wait a few hours, but it will be up on iTunes, Spotify, and all the rest of them. Just search Startup Business Q&A uh, and Richard Moore. If you go to Facebook and search for Entrepreneur Business Group, you can join the group of four and a half thousand of us all there having a very good time. Uh, there'll be a giveaway coming soon. Uh, it will be a cash prize uh, too. So you can jump in and enjoy that. Uh, but Entrepreneur Business Live, search for that. It's the first result. You'll see uh, the group. And uh, thank you so much. In the meantime, everyone watching on uh, Instagram and also IGTV. Also, thank you those of you watching on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Absolute pleasure. And I'll see you next week.